0: Good morning. Are you seated? You know, sometimes um, you are uniquely aware of the impossibility of what we are attempting to do in the next few moments together. Uh, For me, this is one of those Sundays. In other words, somehow, um, in the providence of God, I'm supposed to get up here and talk for 40 minutes, and there is supposed to be, like, eternal transformation happening. And frankly, friends, I'm just not that awesome. Like, I just, like, I don't have, like, any ability to travel the distance from, like, my head to, like, your heart. That is totally the undiscovered country for me. And so I'm just keenly aware that we need God. What is more, there's another complicating factor. How many of you have been to dozens of church services before? Dozens. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. How many of you have been to hundreds? That's like at least two years of church services. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have been to thousands of church services? That is 20 plus years of going to church. Raise your hand. Thousands. You ever heard the expression familiarity breeds what? contempt. And, and so sometimes we can come in here and just think somehow by being in the room, we're going to be transformed. We're going to be like a Christian because we're in the church, but you don't become a Christian by going to the church anymore that you become a car by going in the garage. Like there has to be some sort of like utter transformation. And I, I am just like so aware this morning. That a 40-minute monologue doesn't have the pop to transform hearts. We need God. The other thing about this, too, I was just thinking about this even as we're singing. We can come to church. This is, sorry, free thoughts with Uncle Ryan this morning. This is what it is, okay? Like, we can come to church and sit in the seats And say hello and give a hug or shake a hand. We're in Atlanta. Dap somebody up, you know. And completely go through the motions and say, good sermon, pastor. Way to go, worship team. And not actually engage with God. Right? Like, you can come in here, and a phrase I've been using with my kids a lot recently feels like a hundred times a day, is open heart, strong back. I stole it from Brene Brown, any Brene Brown fans here? If not, you should be, okay, she's awesome. Okay, so open heart, strong back. In other words, we need to come in here and say, God, you say what you need to say to me. My heart is open and if it's ugly, if it's hard, my back is going to be strong. Because so often God starts to speak to us and what do we do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't like it. It's my husband's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my boss. It's my circumstance. Mm -hmm. We look like a toddler. God speaks and we go crumble. But what we need to do is say, God, you speak. And I'm going to stand here and take it. I'm going to listen to your word. I'm going to stand up and respond to what you're saying. I'm going to respond like a mature adult in the faith and walk out what you say to me. So I want to invite all of us to have that posture this morning. Open heart, open your heart, and have a strong back. Don't crumble when God begins to bring conviction on you or think this applies to someone else. This isn't for me. It's in extenuating circumstances. Let's be ready to receive from God and stand there and say, God, I'm okay in Christ. I can hear anything you need to say to me and be transformed rather than constantly pointing the fingers at other places. Let's engage with God in these next few moments. I don't want, listen, listen, this is just what's on my heart today. Like, I don't want to go through the next 10 or 20 years of just doing church. I don't want to do that. I don't want people to come into Gospel Hope Church and just kind of walk in and say, were we on key? Did Ryan or Rod tell a funny story? Who cares? I want to say, did we engage with the living God? Did people come in and be transformed because they experienced the presence of God through His people, through His Word, through the Spirit? And you know what that means, church? It can't be a monologue. Now, I'm going to get up here and preach. I think that's a God-ordained method. But I need you to lean in. This is participatory. Now, you may not be an amener, but maybe you should be. That's right, Nicole. Lord is on your side. That's copycat, Daniel. I'm telling you, she already said that. (laughs) She already said that. such a yes, man. I'm telling you, I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's you, but I do want us to all have the posture of our hearts saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? I'm here. I'm here for it. I'm leaning in to hear your word. All right, can we do that together this morning? Title of the message today is Forgetful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your spirit. Hide me behind the cross. Meet with us today Use the foolishness of preaching In profound ways in our hearts today God, I need to hear from you Your people need to hear from you In Jesus' name I pray, amen One of my favorite movies as a kid was Hook Anybody see this movie, Hook? Yeah If you didn't see it, here's the plot of the movie Peter Pan grew up He becomes an adult And instead of being the swashbuckling hero He turns into the mild-mannered Peter Banning attorney at law And this guy, he's not even like practicing like the cool law He's like, you know, vanilla as they come This is Peter Banning Well, what happens in the story is um, Peter has forgotten who he was in one sense And the whole plot line in the movie is trying to get Peter Banning to remember that he is Peter Pan. Well, why do I bring that up? Well, I bring it up here because in the book of Galatians and in this passage, it seems that Paul is concerned that the Galatian believers have forgotten who they are. In opening up chapter 4, as we heard from Pastor Rod last week, Paul comes in hot and heavy. He brings in the rich identity in Christ that the Galatian believers have been purchased through Jesus' work. Here's what it says, Galatians chapter 4, verse number 6, and because you are sons, there's the first identity, God has sent his spirit into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, God has made you an heir, in other words, Paul is saying, look, Galatians, you've been set free from slavery. You are now sons and daughters of God. You are joint heirs with Christ. And yet, it seems that they had forgotten this reality. Look at verse number 9, which is the key to understanding this section, I think. Look at what it says. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again? To the weak and worthless things. Do you want to be enslaved by them all over again? What is Paul saying? Galatians, you forgot. You forgot who you are in Christ. You're going back to Egypt, as it were. You've been set free. You've been made sons and daughters. You've been made joint heirs with Christ, and now you are forgetting who you are. But here's the thing, church. This is not just a Galatian problem. It's our problem as well. You know, we may know some of the facts about what Jesus has purchased for us on by his death and resurrection as on our behalf, but so often we forget who we are. Like, you may know that you are forgiven, right? If you're a Christian, are you forgiven? Amen? Amen. And yet there's that one sin. You know, that one really shameful one. And it just kind of keeps coming back on the track of your mind. Like the thing that you're like particularly embarrassed by. Maybe it's, you know, once a week. Maybe it's once a day. Maybe it's moment by moment. Yeah, you know you're forgiven, but you often forget that you're forgiven. You know that you've been set free from sin. Amen? And yet, there's that one temptation, you know, the really hard one where when it rears its ugly head, you feel absolutely powerless to resist. You know, that one, that one where you're like, yeah, I'm free from that, but man, it sure doesn't feel like I'm free right now. Feels like I have no choice in this matter. Maybe it's a short temper. Maybe it's a lustful glance. Maybe I don't know what the problem is, but maybe there's this area of temptation where you know you're free, but sometimes You forget you're free. Maybe you know that you've been made a joint heir with Christ. Amen? Amen. And you have hope in heaven. And your inheritance is not in this world. But man, the world's got some shiny stuff, doesn't it? It's tempting to put your roots down here. It's tempting to be caught up by the latest and the greatest, the newest, the quickest, the coolest, the most recent. New and improved after all those words go together, don't they? Man, yeah, you know that you're a joint heir with Christ, and everything that God has is ultimately yours. But it's hard not to live for this world. Sometimes you forget who you are. Right? It is so easy for us to be forgetful people, to forget the blood bought identity that was purchased for us by the Son. Here's the reality: we all struggle with spiritual amnesia. We all got a little amnesiac in us, do we not? We forget that we are children of the Most High God. We forget we are justified and counted righteous in Christ. We forget that we are joint heirs with the very Son of God and we can no more more be disinherited than He can. We forget all of that rich, rich promises. We are forgetful people and that, friends, is very dangerous why because who you are drives what you do who you are drives what you do you say what do you mean by Ryan that Ryan well suppose i was you know on my way over here to get a donut i can't cuz they're all gone i saw y'all ate them all they're gone okay i'm offended um, and on my way i tripped and fell and whacked my head on the pew and developed me one of those TV cases of amnesia. You know, the ones where you forget everything. And I forget that I am the husband of Trisha. And I forget that I am the father of, you know, 10,000. Eight, all right? And I forget that I am the pastor I forget that I'm a son. I forget that I'm a brother. I forget all about who I am. Let me ask you a question. Would that determine, would that change the course of my actions over the next few days? If you forget your identity, it automatically drives your activity. And friends, if you forget who you are in Christ, you will do the wrong things. You will live the wrong way. We must remember who we are in Christ, and that's really my point this morning, simply this. We must not forget our identity in Christ. Why? Because our identity in Christ — listen to these prepositions very carefully — our identity in Christ drives our activity for Christ. You can't get that backwards. Who you are in Christ drives what you do for Christ. Some of you are living in the four category way too much. You're all about do, 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 and you're forgetting to be, be, be. If you get the be right, you will get the do right. If you embrace your identity as a child of God, it will reorientate the direction of your days and nights, the trajectory of your thoughts. We've got to get who we are in Christ, don't get this order twisted So that raises the question then, if we can't forget who we are in Christ, how do we know when we are? That's the problem with amnesia, you don't know when you have it You forget And unlike the TV version of amnesia where, you know, the guy wakes up and he can't remember anything, spiritual amnesia is much more of a slow drift Doesn't happen all at once It's a slowly drift It's that temptation in your life that, that you know you're redeemed from And then you give in once And the next time it gets a little easier And the next time it gets a little easier And the next time it gets a little easier And then you're completely enslaved by it It's a slow drift into spiritual amnesia It's that distance from God who is your Father it's a little bit distance one week, a little bit more distant another week, a little bit more distant. And then you, you wake up and you're like, where am I? Do I even know the Lord? Spiritual amnesia is a slow drift of forgetting who we are, which drives which drives our activity away from the Lord. So I wanted this morning give you three symptoms of spiritual amnesia. And Lord willing, we're going to hear from the great physician who will heal us and treat us of our spiritual forgetfulness. So number one, first symptom of spiritual amnesia is simply this. It is a lessened confidence in Christ's work. You know that you are drifting towards spiritual amnesia when your confidence in the work of Jesus diminishes as has been the case throughout the book of Galatians, Paul continues to warn the believers against putting their confidence in anything but the work of Christ. He rings that bell again loud and clear here in Galatians chapter four, verse number nine and following. Look there carefully. But now, since you have known God, or rather have become known by God, how can you, there it is, turn back to weak and worthless elements Do you want to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. In other words, the Galatians were seeking to contribute to their justification by observing the Jewish laws and customs. Remember, this has been the theme throughout the book. So they are trying to contribute to their standing with God by doing all the really good Jewish things. The Galatians were essentially saying this, listen, God accepts me because I. That's essentially what they were saying. God loves me. God accepts me because I. But that is not the gospel. The gospel says, God accepts me because Christ. There is a world of difference between those two statements. Legalism says, God accepts me because I. The gospel says, God accepts me because Christ. Anytime we smuggle something into God's acceptance of us, we are in the grip of spiritual amnesia. Here's what I mean. (laughs) I want to say this kindly. This is, this is the part where you need to like have an open heart and a strong back right now. If you are subtly saying, now nobody's out here saying like I don't need the gospel. That's not what the Galatians were saying either. They were saying I need Jesus and. And I would venture to say that many of us struggle with that in some, some way, shape, or form. We say, yes, it's Jesus, but I also need to. In order for God to really like, not just love me, but like me, I need to contribute a little bit. If that is you in any way, shape, or form, let me say this very kindly you are underestimating your own sinfulness. Here's the thing you're worse than you think. We don't just do bad things, we do. We're bad people There's no such thing as a good person There's only been one good person His name is Jesus We are bad people What do I mean by that? Now I don't mean you're like subjectively bad In the sense of like, you know David can't go find someone worse than him He can There's lots of people worse than David David's, he's not good But he's like okay-ish, right? Yeah You can always go find someone worse than you But before the Lord, we're all bad let me just help you with that. Just just a little bit to see it. Hundreds, if not thousands, of times in your life, probably thousands, probably thousands is low. You have known what God has said. You have known exactly what God has said, and you have said, I'm not doing that. I don't care. You'll not be the boss of me. Can you think of things in your life where you have done that? You would just blatantly said, God, take a hike. It's my domain, my kingdom, I'm king, get out. We've all done that and it's worse. There are 10,000s of other times in your life where you have disobeyed, dishonored the Lord and you've not even been aware of it. Spend a day with my teenagers and you will recognize this reality. I love those little knuckleheads but they are narcissists. And all of us have been there, right? Some of you adults are still there by the way. Oive, yeah, that's right. Participate Nicole, that's good. Yeah. What do I mean by that? Well, we're so self-focused, we don't even know when we sin. We're just focused on what we do. And then here's one more category. Not only, not only do we willfully defy God, not only do we defy God in ways that we don't know, we also defy God by things we don't do. God ever you called you to something and you're like, man, that's just not important to me. We bad. And when you come to God and say, let me contribute a little bit, you're underestimating how bad you need him. You're not like a good person, you just need a little help. You're like desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says, by the way. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We devalue our own. we undervalue our own sinfulness when we try to contribute to our justification. Second thing, and this is worse maybe, when we try to smuggle a little something into the work of Jesus, we devalue the work of Christ itself. Christ Alone justifies And listen church He don't need our help His work is sufficient He doesn't need you to contribute And it is insulting to him When you try to bring something to the table Suppose Elon Musk showed up after church And he walks up to you and says You know what, I'm going to pay your mortgage off I'm going to pay off your student loan Some of your student loan is more than your mortgage I don't know I'm gonna pay off your student loan and your mortgage. I'm gonna pay off all your debt. How much is it? And you say, Elon, 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 I appreciate you, brother. Let me help you out with that a little bit. You reach out to your pocket, you pull out two balls of lint and a dollar bill. Let me help out. You know what that is? Insulting. Because Elon is saying, I got enough. I got enough to cover your debt. I don't need you to contribute to it. And friends, Christ's work is enough for you. We cannot bring anything to the table We cannot smuggle in any righteousness of our own Or we devalue the work of Christ Here's the blessed realities Maybe the best news in scripture You are more sinful than you realized And more loved than you could imagine Both of those realities are true You are worse than you thought And better than you can imagine at the same time If you are tempted to make yourself acceptable to God Then you are forgetting that those who trust in Christ Have been given the blessing of being a child of God You are forgetting who you are Listen What does a child bring to the table? What does a child contribute? Nothing The Bible talks about we can become children of God in two different ways Do you know that? We can be adopted into God's family. And the Bible also says we have been born again. So we are in one sense, natural born adopted children of God. Both ways we come into the family of God. What's, what's fascinating about that is this. My, Trisha and I have the blessing of having both natural born children and an adopted child. Both of them came to us this way. You know what's amazing? We didn't like ask for a resume for, from either of them. We're not like, oh, we're going to bring this child into our family because look at what they can bring to the team. They interviewed well. They accepted our benefits package. They've got good work experience. You're on the team. We didn't do that with our natural-born children. We didn't go to our adopted son and say, son, what do you have to offer? Tell us why you should be a mechanic. It's a big pressure situation. No! God placed an adopted child in our family, God placed natural born children to the family and you know what they brought to the table? Nothing. And you know what? We love them. We love them. Because a, being a child doesn't mean that you are independent. Being a child means you are dependent on the father. And if you are a child of God, recognize the profound reality that you don't have to bring, you didn't bring anything to the table and you don't have to both of those blessed realities. You're more sinful than you know and more deeply loved than you can possibly imagine. If you have let that drift from your heart at all, you're in danger of spiritual amnesia. Number two. Oh wait, one more statement. This is, I better say it because it's one of these. Okay, so. Here's what that means. Your acceptance, listen carefully, Your acceptance before God never has been and never will be based on your performance. Never. You didn't become a Christian based on your performance. You don't stay a Christian based on your performance. You will not stand in heaven and say, God, you should accept me because I. You will stand in heaven and say, God, you should accept me because Christ. Your acceptance before God is based solely on the performance of another, Jesus Christ the Righteous. Number two. Another symptom of spiritual amnesia is that you drift from the truth. This was clearly happening in Galatia. While Paul had been away, would-be teachers in Galatia began propagating false doctrine. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 17, look at it. They, these are the false teachers, court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. So in other words, these false teachers are trying to woo the Galatians away from Paul. Why? Look at the next verse. Have I become your enemy Because I told you the what? Truth You see, a symptom of spiritual amnesia is that we start listening to the wrong voices This was true in Galatia and it remains true today One of the many negative impacts of the pandemic was the way that people have come to view the gathering of the local church Because we were unable to gather together for a season, people started to view the gathering of God's people as optional for their spiritual life. No big deal, don't really need it, not that critical, I'm fine on my own. But this is not the testimony of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10 says it this way, and let us consider one another in order to provoke I'm sorry. Let us consider one another in order to provoke to love and good works. Notice verse 25. Not neglecting to gather together. Next phrase. As some are in the habit of doing. Whoa! When was this written? The author of Hebrews is saying there will be a temptation even among even among those who claim to follow the Lord, to neglect to gather with God's people. (laughs) What we're doing, this is weird, guys. This is really weird. Like, who else does this type of thing? Like, you come together once a week with a whole bunch of people that are like strangers in one sense that you wouldn't know apart from this maybe and listen to a guy like stand up and talk for a while. Weird. And he's not even that funny. See? Why? Why did God build into the rhythm of the life of his people regularly gathering together. Why did he do that? Because he knows that we all drift towards forgetfulness. In one sense, what we are doing right now, right now in these moments, it is a call back to reality. It's a reality check. You know why? Because all of us drift towards Neverland throughout the week. All of you, myself included. I need to be here. I need to hear God's word preached, even if I'm the one preaching it. I need to to sing the songs of Zion. I need to pray with God's people. I need to be reminded of who I am because I drift, you drift, our default setting is drift. God calls us to gather together not because He wants to eat a bunch of our time but because He wants to remind us of who we are. This is a wake-up call. Remember, you're Peter Pan. You're not Peter Banning an attorney at law. You were made for more than this world. In the, this is a supernatural gathering. The reality is sheep need to hear the voice of their shepherd. That's our nature. We're not shepherds. We're sheep. And sheep need shepherds. And God is our shepherd, and He wants to have a word with His sheep. We need to hear this. So if if your commitment to being consistently shaped by God's truth has diminished, gathering with God's people, has become a lower priority in your life. Maybe you're forgetting who you are. If hearing from your shepherd has become a lower priority in your life, maybe you forgot you're a sheep. If drawing near to your father has become eh, not so important to you, Maybe you forgot you're a child. Friends, a sure sign that we are drifting towards spiritual amnesia is that we have a lessened commitment to hear from God. Number three, a lack of concentration on Christ purposes. Because of the Galatians' drift, it appears Paul, in a sense, feels a sense of exasperation Look at what he says in Galatians 4, verse number 20. I'd like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice. He's like, I don't want to have to talk to you this way, but I I got to. And then he says, "I, I don't know what to do with you. He's essentially saying, what is wrong with you? Wake up. I'm not sure how to respond to this. You guys are chasing after wrong views. You're not clinging to the gospel. Have you forgotten who you are? You've forgotten who you are. So, what brought this on? Well, in addition to the Galatians' diminished commitment to Christ's work and word, it appears they were also losing focus on what Christ meant to accomplish in their lives. They forgot what God was up to. Look at verse 19. I am again suffering labor pains. He's like a mother right now, trying to bring to birth his children. I am suffering labor pains for you until, notice, Christ is formed in you. What does that mean? Paul is essentially saying, Galatians, 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 you're forgetting what God is up to in your life. You're chasing after these false teachers, and and God actually has a desire for you, and it is to make you more like Christ. You're forgetting that. You've forgotten that God has a purpose in your life, and it is to conform you to the image of his sons. It seems that the Galatians, by their infatuation with this false teaching, have become distracted from that goal. In a sense, they had forgotten why the Lord saved them in the first place. And friends, we can be guilty of the same error. Listen, open heart, strong back, right? God did not save you to make you comfortable. If you're pretty comfortable right now, Maybe you're not following the shepherd. No pain, what? No gain. We know that on every other venue of life. I'm learning Spanish right now. I have a conversation with Joaquin about every day. And you know what it is? Embarrassing. I talk like less than a toddler. But the only way I get better at it is what? Stumble, bumble, fail, keep working, keep stumbling, keep bumbling, keep failing, no pain, no gain. Why do we think that's different in our spirituality? Guys, I, I don't want to be unkind. Some of us just don't work at it. Christ didn't save you to make you comfortable. He, made, he, he saved you to make you more like him. Look, here's another one. Christ didn't save you to make your life easy. The Lord's not a genie in the bottle. He's your master. He's your king. He's your sanctifier. He is busy trying to make Christ formed in you. and what does that mean? I mean, the Bible uses languages like this: Let a man deny himself. Let us take up our cross and die daily. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That doesn't sound easy. That sounds what? Hard. Some of us aren't very good Christians because we're not very disciplined Christians. We say this is the most important thing in the world to us and yet all it shows up is an hour on Sundays. Christ didn't save us to make us Easy. Christ also didn't save us to make you feel good about yourself. Look, our world right now defines love as affirmation. What does that mean? Love means I just say good things about you. And certainly does our Lord say good things about us? Yes or no? Amen. Through Christ, there is so much good, there's so much beauty in every follower of God. But love and affirmation are not exactly the same thing. Love means seeking another's highest good And sometimes I love my children by not affirming them That is, hey, don't go that way, that's not a good choice I love you enough to say, stop that Don't go that way, bridges out ahead I love you enough to say that's the path of folly, not the path of wisdom I love you enough to say you need to grow in your character in this area God didn't save us just to affirm us where we are God saved us to conform us to the image of Christ Which means we all are people in need of change If you are right where you are five years ago, friends, you've forgotten who you are We are constantly changing people because that is the purpose of the gospel and the work of Christ in our lives. Listen, the Lord is more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. And it's all too easy for us to lose sight of that. When life gets challenging, which it often does, right? Y'all got challenges in your life right now? Our instinct is to just run Like escape the discomfort as quickly as possible But I think that's a bit of amnesia Because if we see that God is in charge, and he has a wise design, and he sometimes brings adversity into our lives to conform us to the image of a son, if that's what he's up to, it means that our burden should not be to just get out of the suffering. Sometimes in our desire to avoid our suffering, we waste our suffering, right? Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your discomfort. Don't just run out of it and miss what God is trying to do in the midst of it. Listen, we need to understand that in your suffering, God is not doing something to you. He is doing something in you. God loves you enough to change you. Aren't you thankful? I don't even like Ryan 10 years ago. I'm so grateful that the spirit has been like, man, you a mess. I'm going to stay with this. It's going to be a lifelong project. Brothers and sisters, if we just run from hardness, if we love comfort so much that we can't bear up under what God is doing in our heart, we've forgotten who we are. We are children of the King who loves us. I would be a terrible parent, terrible parent, if no matter what my children were doing, I'm just like, hey man, that's a good path, go ahead. Yeah, Lila. I know you're three. Stick your finger in that light socket. That's cool. Yeah, run out in traffic. That's fine. I just want to affirm you. No. Sometimes God introduces adversity and hardship and suffering into our life because He wants to conform us to the image of His Son. Suffering should be transformed. If you remember you're a child of the King. Suffering should no longer be in your mind a cruel tip twist of fate. Why me? Why? But rather, it is a severe, but nonetheless a gift from the hand of a loving father. So I've given this to you because I have bigger purposes in store than just making you happy in the short term. I want to make you holy. And that will lead to your unending joy in Christ. God loves us. God loves us. And that is why sometimes he brings even hardship into our lives. So where does this leave us? (laughs) Hopefully you've seen that it's critical that we remember who we are in Christ. So what is it that we must remember? Who are we? If we can't forget our identity in Christ, that raises the question, what is our identity in Christ? The passage tells us so many wonderful ones of it. We're sons and daughters. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're redeemed from the power of sin. But I think the best summary is in chapter four, verse number nine. Look there, if you would, says this, you have become known by God. You have become known by God. Here's what that means. The God of heaven, the savior of the universe, looks at you and he sees you and he knows you. He doesn't just know the public persona that you put on social media or the way you carry yourself at work or the way you look this morning, he knows that, but he knows beyond that. He doesn't just know the version of you that you reveal to your closest friends, your husband, your wife, your brothers, your sisters, your mom, your dad. He, he knows that version of you, you know, the one with the short temper. The one that's anxious about a lot of stuff. One that doesn't like to do the dishes, that one. He even knows the one that only you know. He even knows the one that you don't even know. You have been known by God. The God of heaven looks at you He sees every single thing, messed up thing that you've ever done. He sees every messed up thing that's ever been done to you. And he says, your name, I know you. But the biblical word know doesn't just mean like he knows about you. The biblical word know has this idea of like he knows you and accepts you. Dare I even say he knows you and wants you because of the work of Christ. God sees the rottenness of my heart. And He says, I know you. I see you. You're mine. That is who you are. That is who you are. You are more sinful than you could imagine. More, more sinful than you know, and more love than you can imagine. That is the beautiful reality of the gospel. God sees you to your depths, and He Wants you, you are known fully and you are loved deeply. So, how do we forget? How how do we keep from forgetting that? Friends, it's a fight. It's a fight to keep from drifting towards amnesia. Remember, I told you our default is drift. So, how do we fight to keep remembering that we are known? and loved by God, and living out of that reality. Well, I want to encourage us to do something right now, and it's going to take effort. <laughs> I, I was reading in the scripture, and it's talking about the work of prayer. Prayer is a work, by the way. And, 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 um, and Jesus says something like this, like, um, he told this parable, so you pray and don't give up. Which implies what? When you pray, you're tempted to what? Give up. And so I want us to begin to be a church that knows how to pray and not give up. We do the work of prayer. Sometimes, listen, sometimes all we do, we think of prayer in church as like when the band comes and gets off the stage. Prayer is like moments of transition. I'm not against that per se. But remember, I said this is like, I don't, this can't be a monologue. Like we got to work at this together. Like you got to pray. You got to like come and be ready to engage with the living God. So I'm going to invite us to do that right now. And we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to fight to believe that we are who God says we are. Can we do that? I can't do it for you. We got to do this together. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite historical preachers, said this. Do you know that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Do you listen to yourself a lot? Rather than taking yourself aside and beginning to talk to yourself about the truth of God's word. David knew that secret. Psalm chapter 42, verse number five. Look at what it says. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil in me? Put your hope in God. For I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Who is David talking to? He's talking to David. He's saying, self, we need to have a little dialogue right now. Why are you so dejected? Why is your soul in such turmoil? Self, you better put your hope in God. I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to ask us to participate right now, and you've got to fight to this, because it's going to be awkward, all right? We're family. How many of you would say, man, there are some things in my life right now and because of them I'm tempted to be dejected and I'm tempted to be in turmoil? That describes me right now. Okay, I'm going to ask you in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet and I'm going to ask people to pray for you. So that's what's going to happen. I'm not trying to sneak up on you. But if you say there is something in my life that is tempting me to be dejected and be in turmoil. I need to run to God right now. I need need the help of the people of God right now. I want to ask you to just stand on your feet right now. Go, stand up, stand up. I'm tempted to be dejected. There you go, stand up, stand up. I'm tempted to be dejected. I'm tempted to be in turmoil. It's good. Amen. Good, No, no shame in it. All right, now church, go find some of those folks. Put your hand on their shoulder and just start to pray over them. Lord, help them not to be dejected. Help them not to be in turmoil. You don't know the burden, but God does. So would you pray over them right now? Go do that right now. Do that, pray over these folks. One, do the work of praying, pray and don't give up. Say a quick word of prayer over people. If you're being prayed over, just receive, receive, receive from the people of God right now. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can be honest with you, Lord. We can bring our dejection. We can bring our despair. We can bring our turmoil. Lord, your shoulders are broad enough to bear them. Oh God, I pray for your people right now. I pray for your people, Lord, that they would throw their burden on you name of Christ I pray, amen. All right, going back to your seats, we're gonna pivot, we're gonna keep praying together. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise you, my Savior and my God. How did David begin to work himself out of this? He began to remind himself of who his God is. He is my savior, he is my God. So here's what I wanna do right now, all over the room. All of the room, we're gonna pray. You're gonna pray out loud, just one right after another, kind of popcorn. I'm gonna start by praying the character of God. And I want you to stand on your feet or pray nice and loud right where you're at so everybody in the room can hear you. God, I thank you that you are fill in the blank, okay? Well, just one right after another, reminding ourselves of who our God is. You get it? So I'll start us and then one right after another. It's gonna be weird if you don't participate, all right? I'm just gonna stand up here and be quiet. So let's not do that. Father, your father. Lord, I thank you that because of Christ, we are joint heirs and you cannot disown us. We thank you, God. We worship you right now. God is faithful, amen. Go ahead, and if you hear something that you resonate with, say amen. He's sovereign. Amen. He's merciful. Over here, sister, who said that? He knows our names, amen. He's a supplier. He is gracious. Amen. Say that again, brother. Amen. He loves us unconditionally. Lean into this. Let's worship God. He's a comforter. He, say that. I'm sorry. Blueprint. Blueprint. Amen. Wrong church, sister. Yeah. <laughs> He's a healer. Amen. He's rescued us from darkness into his marvelous light. He's He's a redeemer. redeemer. He's He's victorious. He's mighty. He's wise. He's a friend. He's holy. Worship him, church. He's gentle. He's generous. What's that, brother? He's just to forgive. He's a good shepherd. He's kind. He is the ultimate sacrifice. We don't have to work for His love, He's with us. He is our joy. He's close. He's here right now. He is our peace. He's our strength. He is a mighty shelter. This is our God. This is who he is. Why are you downcast on my soul? Why is there turmoil within you? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise Him. Who is He? He is my Savior. He is my God. He is my rock. He is my comforter. He is my provider. He is my King. He is my Lord. He is my Master. He is victorious and He will reign forever and ever. And friends, we are who He says we are. Stand on your feet and let us put our hope in God together. Come on.